anyway, let's let's okay. start. Okay, well, it seems to be working now. So, <clears throat> hi, folks. It's the Scene World Podcast. I'm AJ. Jorg is right over there. Hello. It's been uh, it's been it's 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 kind of a crazy month for this this month. Um, as as you can probably see behind me, I'm painting, and so I'm I'm living in disarray. Jorg, meanwhile, has been bopping around to uh, to Gamescom. Yep. Which, where we had a booth. Exactly. Yeah, we were invited by Rene Meyer, who was the organizer of the retro area, with over forty exhibitors. And yeah, and um, I was there with our staff members, TMC from the Netherlands, and we run the booth together with Hans Highscore, um, who are a music group for retro gaming stuff. And so we did that, and it was very successful. Um, yeah, and it was very nice. I, I met a lot of people, I recorded a lot of events. I was invited by Electronic Arts Press Center to have um, a conversation with them and AJ about FIFA Soccer 16 with Women Soccer included this time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things to 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 broadcast. That's and kind of there with the, the FIFA. I mean, that's EA Sports is is sort of huge, and FIFA is one of those things that everyone's sort of played at some point in their life. Yeah, I like that when he asked me like. Did you ever play FIFA? And I was like, yes, of course, since 20 yeah. years. Who yeah. hasn't played FIFA? Yeah. So. 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 So we're having kind of an odd month in that this podcast is out of order from our next podcast. You'll be hearing our next podcast first. And so it, it, it's so I'm not really sure how to go about our we're not going to follow our normal spiel where we talk about nonsense and then get to the main meat of the thing because because I, I don't know what that's going to be by the time you hear this or see this depending on where you're looking at us so we're, we'll keep that stuff for our next podcast which will have been the podcast that you probably listened to or watched before this one god this is like this is like advanced physics yeah why not why not back to the future Anyway, yeah, yeah. so let's look at what we got. Yeah, yeah. he brought along a, a camera crew, a professional camera crew with professional equipment. Oh, um, yes, I, especially for that, I, I bought uh, condenser microphones, especially for smartphones, so I can directly record the stuff without background noise, mm-hmm. which I used most of the time. So, And it worked pretty well. Yeah. So I get all the pewter. And I would say let's check it out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, the first clip we've got up here is um, is of Hans Highscore, the people that we that, that you shared a booth with um, at Gamescom. Yep, yep. And they actually played on a Kerberos cartridge that mm-hmm. was given to us as a review unit by Frank Bus, who actually produced that last year thanks to Kickstarter. Hmm crowdfunding so nowadays everything is kickstarter really and in the background of the video you see synth card which is a separated midi card that was included in Kerberos so Kerberos is like a collection of all midi tools that you had there from last year down to 86 
it was first coming out Steinberg, you know, mm -hmm. um, which is pretty much known for Cubase nowadays, and they started on the C64 as well. So, um, well, let's, let's check that out. Yep.
And the dog yeah. is having fun. Yeah, yeah. that was some awesome. Some yeah. yeah, that was some 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 bitchin' uh, guitar playing right there. Yeah, and I especially like the the one that plays where they actually played on the real keyboard. That was pretty yeah, yeah. pretty cool. Now was that, that that keyboard was that hooked into 
that was hooked into the MIDI with the 64? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Directly with the MIDI cable. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, in the, in the screen, they, there was a big screen behind them that we just saw that was kind of changing along with what they were doing. Exactly. That is directly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Used... So that's, that's all 64-based. There was nothing yeah. else. Yeah. And they also had an Atari on it mm -hmm. so and that had that had an early version of Cubase for the Atari right. so Hans Heisker used Atari and um, C64 sounds for okay. their music okay. yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting because we learned we learned about the the uh, the MIDI capabilities of the Atari when we we talked to um, when we talked to um, Dave Lowe uh, last well I, earlier this month actually yeah last um, podcast Two two podcasts ago. Remember, we're we're true. in the future. We're in the future. True. So, true. <laughs> so yeah, so we 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 learned some things about the the Atari MIDI implementation, which was a lot more. Um, it was more. It was built in, whereas with the sixty four, you really had to sort of add on to it in order to get that. So that's exactly. Kinda, it's kind of cool to be able to mix the two and and make something like they're doing. But the uh, MIDI capabilities actually started with the C64, mm -hmm. which most people don't know. Many people think it started with the PC, actually. Right. Um, yeah. Hmm. So, yeah. So, thanks again to Frank, Frank uh, Bus for his help and giving us a review unit. Mm -hmm. And if you want to read the review, we reviewed it on the issue 24. Uh, 24 yes. Our last, last steamroll issue. Yes, our last steamroll. Okay. What's next up? Uh, we we, we uh, Sven Fessing, our, our buddy Sven Fessing. Who, yeah, Ritter Hunter. Yes, who, who we talked to, uh, good lord, like a year ago? That was a while ago that we talked to him. Yes, actually, actually, uh, it was in November last yeah. year. Okay, so and, not quite a year ago. Uh, yeah. And he's been, he's been with you on your... You're, um, you've been doing this thing at uh, the film museum in Frankfurt. Exactly, uh, and last... he's our chat host. Right. So... As you probably saw in the Jay Maynard yeah, live show. Did. We just did, yes. Uh, so so our, the, the, our, your next clip is, is of, of, um, of our friend Sven speaking to... Uh... Ron Gilbert. Yes, Ron Gilbert. Who, who is the inventor of... The scum text adventure, no graphic adventure interface. You know, like that'd, take, that'd be, open. Yeah, that'd be the, the Monkey Island series or um, Maniac Mansion, which started Maniac all. Mansion, yeah, yeah, Zach McCracken, um, Loom. I don't know if it was Loom, but I know it was. Um, I think I think it was. I think Loom used it. Yes, and Day, and, Day of the Tentacle. Day of yeah. the Tentacle, best game ever made. And of course, um, Simon the Sorcerer, which was never released in the States officially, or well, it was, but it was not so much known over there. And Ron Gilbert is actually um, working on his new project by Kickstarter, like Thimbleweed Park. Yeah, Thimbleweed Park, yes. Yep. Cool. And nice. yeah. yeah. And with Trent Fessing, he spoke about uh, Maniac Mansion and the uh, cover art 
Which is a pretty nice story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's check that out. Yeah. I don't mean it's, uh, to introduce you so much, but can you tell us a little bit uh, from your life uh, before uh, being a creator and a I mean, before I made the, before I made the games. The made the games, yeah. Uh, well, gee, I don't know where to start on that, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in a very uh, small town in Oregon, and my uh, father He was the president of a university, and so I had a lot of access to computers, you know, back in like the 1970s, you know, before people really had computers. So I got into, you know, programming. I just kind of loved that. And I think as, you know, as a kid, when you're learning to program, games are the most interesting thing to program. So I just, you know, started making a lot of games and fell in love with uh, making games. And then I got a Commodore 64, and I just fell in love with the Commodore 64. And eventually, I got a job, uh, you know, making games on the Commodore. And then, then I got the job at Lucasfilm. We heard about it. <laughs> yeah. So when we made this jump to Lucasfilm games, when you were starting uh, at Lucasfilm games, so um, at your first day at Lucasfilm, maybe someone came to you and say, "Hey, Ron, today's your first day." But um, you will making games that 30 years later people still talking about and still love you for this. What would you say to this person? Uh, I don't know that I would have believed them. <laughs> I think, you know, my, my first day at Lucasfilm, uh, you know, when I got a phone call from Lucasfilm and they were looking for a Commodore 64 programmer, I didn't even know that Lucasfilm made games back then. All, all I knew of Lucasfilm was Star Wars and Indiana Jones, and so I was like super surprised. And I think the first couple of days that I was working there, I was just starstruck. I just, I could not believe that I was, you know, work, working at this company. So it was, I mean, it was a great place to work. Then what, um, you said you, you had access to computers uh, uh, from your father's. Um, so there was never a, a problem when you said you go to your parents and say you want to be a, a developer because at this time it was not a normal job. When I say I want to go to computers, my parents said, oh my God, please be a mechanic or something like this, but not this. So your parents supported you or what they sometimes they said, oh, please don't do this. this was, Yeah, my, my parents always supported me in, in stuff, and you know, since my dad, he started out as a physicist, and he yeah, he always supported me in the computer stuff a lot, so um, I actually quit college to go take a job, so I didn't even finish college, and that was a little bit hard to explain to my dad, because he was the president of the university I was going to, and to go to him and have to explain to him that I was, you know, quitting college to go make video games, right? But they were, my parents have always been amazingly supportive. I, you know, if you go to my mom's house right now, she probably has the best Lucasfilm game collection in the entire world. Because she kept every game that I gave her and it's all, you know, lined up on her walls everywhere. So hopefully I will get those all when she passes away. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hopefully we get it. Okay. So, um, You are famous for different games, starting with uh, on the, the adventure, uh, which was also my first adventure. Um, I get uh, 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 to give the, the, the describe uh, um, 
and the prisoners, and also some original games. I would prefer not to yeah, there were original games, not copies. And uh, I, I played this game, it was really fascinating because uh, I, I never expect to, to move around. And you, see, you, you have the feeling, it was for me at this time an open world feeling because you can do everything in this game. So um, when you uh, create this game, um, you, you make different characters for the game. Um, is one of the characters more like you or an impersonation of you? One of the characters from Maniac Mansion? Yeah, I think in Maniac Mansion, the character of Dave was really modeled, you know, modeled after me. I, I used to dress like that. You know, I had a, you know, a, a denim jacket and jeans and, I have that the, the Lucasfilm T-shirt that Dave is wearing. I actually have that exact T-shirt. Uh, and so yeah, I think you know he was a little bit modeled after me. And I mean, a lot of the characters in the game are modeled after people. Uh, Razor in the game is modeled after you know Gary's girlfriend at the time was named Ray, and that was kind of a little bit modeled after her. And so we did just a lot of stuff where we kind of modeled the characters after people that we knew. Uh, okay, that's cool. Um, um, when you pitched the game uh, to uh, Lucasfilm at this time, um, were they excited or was there also people saying, oh my god, please don't do this, uh, make another uh, port of Ballblazer or something like this? No, you know, when, when Gary and I did Maniac Mansion, there, yeah, I think there were like 11 people that worked at Lucasfilm Games at the time. It was a very small group. And there really wasn't a, a pitching process. It was, you know, we just we started thinking up ideas for the game, and we just started making the game. And so, you know, there really wasn't that, uh, you know, that approval process that you have today. It's like nobody did market research. You know, nobody went and asked sales what they thought. We we just started making the game that we thought would be fun to make. So there was a release of the Maniac uh, Mansion. Um, and there was the first box design uh, for the United States, um, which has some words at the back side. And one word was lust. Um, and there was some people in the United States, and also resellers, that have really a big problem with this word lust in combination with teenagers. Uh, and we did everyone know. Teenagers never feel lost or something like this pain. No. And um, do you were uh, surprised about this reaction and also the box had to be cut out of the market and there was a reaction? Do you were surprised about this reaction? Yeah, the, the box for Maniac Mansion, I mean, just to, I, I, I think to kind of show you what things were like back then, you know, Gary and I made the box for that game, right? There was not a marketing department that went through and made the box for that game. Gary and I just figured it all out and we wrote all the stuff on there and we wrote this big long list of words and you know lust was one of the words and we didn't think anything of it and so the box was reprinted and they went out to the stores and there there's this uh, a store in the, in the states called Toys R Us and they were a really large buyer of computer games and some uh, parents went into Toys R Us and saw the Maniac Mansion box and saw the word lust on it and wrote a letter to Toys R Us complaining about the box. So Toys R Us pulled all of the Maniac Mansion boxes from their stores, which, you know, 
that's a lot of you know copies of the game to go away. And so we um, we had to go through and completely redo the box to be able to get it back. So that original box is actually kind of rare because of that. Yes, and I'm very happy to have one of these boxes that also had signed by you. So this is really. I think my mom has four. Yeah. <laughs> she has the other one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So um, after uh, then, then what the time you uh, make Monkey Island, also again you heard about a little bit, and don't be scared. I don't ask you about the secret. So um, I was gonna tell you after you Sorry. Sorry. No time for this. <laughs> um, uh, but after this, also when there was a time you left Lucasarts, and then um, you make uh, also games for kids. Uh, but also there is a game. Uh, I think I see a copy of it there, right there. Uh, uh, Total Annihilation, which is a totally different game. Um, you were producer of it, and uh, so uh, do you want to make some other another kind of games, or what was the idea to produce uh, Total Annihilation? Uh, well, when, you know, when I left uh, Lucasfilm after Monkey Island 2, uh, I started a company uh, called Humongous Entertainment, and we made adventure games for kids. And uh, it was a lot of fun, you know, making the games for kids. I really enjoyed that a lot. But there was just kind of something about, you know, doing more of the hardcore games that's always interested me. And, you know, we hired somebody who wanted to make, you know, this RTS game. So we decided, you know, we'll, we'll kind of do that just because it sounded like a lot of fun. So uh, we did Total Annihilation and I produced that. So I didn't design it, but I did produce it. Um, that is the second design you also made it. Yeah, that's the second one. That's yeah. not the original. Yeah, and that's also the box that was uh, released in Germany. Um, so as you spoke now about hardcore gaming, I will make a, a little jump because um, you said in an interview um, uh, a time ago, that uh, yeah, some games uh, also today adventures are not so good anymore and also uh, too easy. Um, so um, yeah, uh, so yeah, not, 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 uh, yeah, not uh, really uh, excited about new adventure games right now. Or so, uh, what's different between the old games? Well, I, I think there are a, a lot of good adventure games made now. I, I think they're they're just very different because they. You know, they've changed. And, uh, you know, one of, one of the you know the games I've really enjoyed recently is you know a game called Kentucky Route Zero, and you know it's kind of an adventure game, but it's not really an adventure game. But I mean, it has its roots in adventure games, and so you know, at least in the U.S., I know it's a little bit different over here, but at least in the U.S., adventure games have really just changed into this other thing, and I still enjoy them, but they're not they're not really the same as the you know classic point and click games like these. We, which is one of the reasons that you know we did our Kickstarter was we yes. really wanted to make one of those games again. And before we go to the movie part, uh, we maybe go to to the um, uh, the Bank and the Cave that were also games, uh, and also you were connected with uh, into Broken Age with uh, Tim Schafer. Um, um, because um, uh, there before you made also a game for kids uh, a, a bit. And uh, the time between uh, yeah, you, you get in touch again with uh, Tim Schafer, um, was there a time, maybe, uh, or was there anywhere a time uh, when you regret to go to this business with said, okay, that was enough, or are you still excited to be part of this business? Yeah, I'm, 
I'm really excited about Twin Games. I, I love doing it, and I still do it, and I still program. I mean, most of the programming for Thimbleweed Park is the stuff that I'm doing, so I, I really like it a lot. I, you know, I did the kids' games uh, at Humongous, and then when I left there, um, I, I did a bunch of casual games, you know, some word games and some other stuff that I don't think anyone ever saw. But, you know, I did those, and I had a lot of fun making those. And I've always enjoyed making a lot of different types of games, right? I don't, I don't want to just make point-and-click adventures forever. Um, you know, I did, like, you know, hit Death Bank. I mean, Death Bank is, you know, has a lot of adventure elements to it, but it's more of an RPG game. You know, and the, and the cave has a lot of adventure game elements to it, but it's kind of a you know a platformer type game. So you know, I like you know experimenting around and trying different games and doing you know doing different things. And I made you know made three different mobile games you know for the iPhone and the Android, and, and that stuff's a lot of fun. I like to play around with different things. Uh, okay, but then uh, you 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 mentioned it, uh, Timberly Park. You are connected again with uh, Gary. So you also, um, yeah, I think you're friends or uh, one-time friends, and um, yeah. Um, so the, the the idea was really you want to make the basic idea was to create uh, things that you didn't like before. So tell us a little bit of the process. Yeah, for you know, for Thimbleweed Park was the game we kickstarted. We, you know, I was talking to Gary in many. I don't know, probably about a year ago, and we we were just talking about how much fun Maniac Mansion was to make, and there's a certain kind of charm to those old point-and-click adventure games that I kind of felt was missing a little bit, and Gary and I were talking about, well, why is that? What What is that charm that those old games have? And, you know, we just started talking and said, well, you know, we should make, we should just make a new one with verbs and you know, inventory and everything, exactly like the old ones. And almost if we could figure out what is it that was so interesting about the games, and you know, really could we make another one of those again? And so that's kind of how the Kickstarter was born. I think we all know it was a big success, and there was also um, it was very funny. Um, there was a, a goal with um, um, $425,000, and the next goal was $425 and one dollar for the translation, the German translation uh, from Robert Schneider Jorn. So, uh, how did you get it to one dollar? <laughs> well, when we, uh, you know, Boris did the translation for the original Monkey Island, and uh, we've, you know, we've kind of stayed in contact. When I've been over to Germany, I've gotten together with him and talked with him and stuff. And so, when I, when I did the Kickstarter, Gary and I announced the Kickstarter, um, I got a, I just got an email from Boris, and he said, I'll do the translation for free. You know, I just, I want to do the translation for this. So I'm like, okay, great. So then, you know, the dollar was kind of a joke, you know, on there. But they, yeah, I mean, Boris is, is doing the whole translation for free just because it sounds like a lot of fun. Okay, yeah, uh, we're also really excited about this. The graphics uh, really looks like the, uh, like a Commodore 64 version. Um, are there any plans to release it to the Commodore 64? Uh, there are no plans to release it to the Commodore 64. I don't. I don't think Steam has a Commodore 64 section on Steam, so I'm not sure how we sell it actually. But I mean, the graphics do. Uh, the graphics probably look more like the Monkey Island graphics than the original Maniac Mansion graphics, and a lot of that comes from when when Gary and I started the Kickstarter. Uh, you know, we kind of we did more of the Maniac Mansion style graphics because we didn't know how much money we were going to get, so we wanted to do something that was simple. And 
you know, easy for us to do. But since we raised a lot more money than we thought, um, we got Mark Ferrari, who did the graphics for the original Monkey Island game. And so he came on, and he's kind of taken the graphics more in that Monkey Island direction. So, so it's changed a little bit from what the Kickstarter was. Okay, and then we can, and I can ask you the same question as and then we got more clapped. Okay. Before I close this interview, I want to ask the audience if there are any questions, feel free to ask now. Okay. Maybe uh, you come to me because I have to leave my microphone. It's too loud. So. Are there the same characters like the Manic Mansion in the new game? Um, the, I mean, the characters themselves aren't the same, but the art style is very much the same. You know, Maniac Mansion had the kind of large-headed characters, and you know, Gary's doing all the animation, so they really feel like the Maniac Mansion characters. There's also a Nintendo version of Maniac Mansion. It's also not planned to do it on Nintendo. No, no, there's not, no, no plan to put it on the NES. <laughs> but for the Nintendo Wii U or something like this, or also the The Wii U, the Wii U, yeah. No, uh, it, it may be. You know, we're looking, we had just announced that we're going to do Temple Wii Park on the Xbox, and, you know, we're going to look at, like, PlayStation and Wii U and stuff down the road, so, it, you know, it might be on that. Yeah. The NS Park is a really, really great soundtrack. It's, but the music is running all the time. It was really... Yeah, Nintendo required that. <laughs> they, they required that we do this non-stop music, so we had to change that. Will it also be available on OS X? Yes, it'll be on Windows, Mac, and Linux. Do you play your own games? Uh, yeah, I actually, I actually do play my own games. I play, you know, I go back and I play Maniac Mansion and Monkey Island usually right before I start designing a new game because I want to go back and I want to play those to just remind myself of what's going on. So. You know, before I started doing Dust Bank, I played all the way through uh, Monkey Island 1, and before I did The Cave, I went through and uh, played through Maniac Mansion again, because The Cave had, you know, seven characters, and before Thimbleweed Park, I went through and played all of Monkey Island 2 again. So it's just, it's nice to kind of remind myself of, of those things, yeah. Um, back, in, back in your days at Lucasfilm, how did you perceive the competition with Sierra Online? Did you perceive it at all, or did you play their games? Yeah, we we were very aware of Sierra, and you know the, the the I think the thing that we hated about Sierra was they sold ten times the number of games that we did, and you know we you know we come out with Monkey Island and it did well, but Monkey Island was not a huge hit for us, and you know King's Quest would sell ten times the number of copies, so. We were always very, very jealous of the amount of sales that they were getting versus what we were getting. Was Habitat released in boxed versions in the Fies for which systems? Oh, Habitat. Yeah, Habitat was uh, only on the Commodore 64. 
That was the only. Oh, I guess it did release on the FM Towns. Yeah, the FM Towns. It did. Habit, Habitat. Yeah, it released on the Commodore 64, and I think it also came out on the FM Towns, which is a Japanese computer. And then there were also uh, a couple of games uh, that were released on FM Towns, and they're very expensive. I think they were Zach McCracken. Yeah, those, I mean, those games, uh, they were all done in Japan, you know, the programming and stuff for them, so we didn't have a lot of involvement in them other than just kind of approving them. I think they're more expensive, like the Maniac Mansion version, uh, because uh, they're really expensive. Okay, open end. Okay, first of all, I would like to thank you very much for your games and the games. It was so much. Did anyone here in the audience spend more like five, six, seven, eight, ten hours to uh, search for the gasoline for this? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, because uh, one funny story, because I think it was many Man, it was the first game, um, and I played the whole night, and uh, my parents came to my room and said, hey, okay, you have to go to bed, you have to go to school till morning. And then I play and I play and I play. And then for me, a couple of minutes later, my mom came into my room and said, Okay, Sven, now you are ready for school. That's perfect. So we have to go and say, Holy shit. <laughs> so uh, thank you very much for this also, because there was no internet. But, and, and you have people in the school that tell you, Hey, you find it there, but you have to do this first and this first. And you believe that. Uh, so Next one. Next in the row, next question. No question? Okay. Uh, the new game you are making will have different kinds of solutions you can play. Or will it be a unique one? Same thing you need to do. Yeah, the Akumui uh, Park has five playable characters, and each of the characters has their own story that you can go through. So there are there are kind of like five different endings you can do, and we do have like multiple solutions to puzzles, so it's not always the exact same thing. I think that was you know a fun thing about Maniac Mansion is there were multiple ways to solve different puzzles. Yeah, that, was, that was fun. So we're we're going to be doing that definitely. Will there also be a chainsaw in this game? There is a chainsaw in this game, and there is gas in this game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There is. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Cool, sir. Hi, Mr. Gilbert. Uh, I want to ask about, you know, about the origins of Monkey and about its characters. 
and are you now jealous about Pirates of the Caribbean taking all the money for your idea? Yeah, I mean, the, the origins of, of Monkey Island were definitely influenced a lot by Pirates of the Caribbean. That was, you know, one of my favorite rides as a kid. And, and I think you can see that, you know, if you've ever been on the ride, when the ride first starts out, you know, the sky is very blue and there's that one little, you know, shack above the water silhouetted against the sky. And if you, you know, start um, Monkey Island and you get down into Melee, you really see that whole color scheme. So, you know, the, the feel of the game is very, Stuff by Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, I think it's not so uh, not so well known in Germany that or in Europe that this uh, the movie Pirates of the Caribbean is based on this riot. Uh, so I think, uh, I think there were also signatures. Um, so uh, one one last question uh, from me uh, because uh, you are so long in this business. Uh, what what is for you the main difference of developing a game in the early days? Um, developing it yet now and also is it like the early days to develop now a week mark? Game, you know, game development I think has come full, full circle. You know when I first started making games and you know uh, Maniac Mansion and Monkey Island they were very small teams. You know Maniac Mansion was made by just three people. You know it was me and Gary and David and that was it. And Monkey Island was only seven people. So it's a very very small team to people and then you know like in the I guess probably starting in the 1990s, team size just grew huge, you know, and hundreds of people working on the games. And I think that's where I kind of stopped really enjoying making games, just being a part of those huge teams of people. But now with things like Steam and Kickstarter and all of the great indie development happening, we're kind of getting back to these small teams of people. And one of the goals with Thimble We Park was to keep the team very small. And so it was a lot like making those games. So I think, I think game development has kind of come all the way back to the way it was uh, back in those days. So uh, if there are not any questions, as many as of times then I will close the interview. I thank you very much. It was yeah, a big no, honor. Thank, thank you. And thanks, thanks for coming. Uh, so um, uh, um, today in the evening, um, there will be uh, Adventure to Death Party. Um, in the Polar um, Strandbahn. So um, I think we won't start with a signature right now. I think if, uh, if you sit here, then the people can come around. We're back from from the Ron Gilbert thing. Yeah, that was Got quite it. awesome. I mean, he is he is a pioneer in video gaming. Mm -hmm. And which is quite funny because in the interview him he he um, actually mentioned that before Lucasfilm he didn't even know about video games so much. <laughs> so, yeah, that's cool. So yeah. our next little bit here is um, is is a three D soccer game called Ball Blazer for the Amiga. Exactly. Yes. Which you are getting ruthlessly beaten by some little kid from the audience. No, actually, I won it <laughs> twice. Like like last year when there was the competition ab about Pit Stop 2. Yeah. And I'm really very good at um, racing games, so Pit Stop 2 was cake. Pit and Stop 2 is, is the game, man. Pit Stop 2 is, is... You can't go wrong with that game. Yeah. And actually, I sucked at Ballblazer. I never won or played a whole match because I never understood how it works. But mm. it was explained prior to the competition, and for some reason, I succeeded. Yeah. 
And I won Pro Evolution Soccer, which is quite nice. Jörg, der Retro-Kenner, und Vincent, der Vincent, der Falke. Wer wird wohl das erste Tor schießen? So, Jörg ist absolut fokussiert. Vincent hat aber den Dreh raus. Die Generation darf man nicht unterschätzen. Die sieht schneller, die reagiert schneller, die hört besser. Und hat das auch intuitiv schneller aufgeschnappt. Eieiei, das war sehr, sehr knapp. Da ist schon der erste Posten. Das war sehr, sehr knapp. Ich glaube, der Vincent der hätte gerade das erste Tor geschossen. So, Jörg, die erste halbe Minute ist um. Ne, 40 Sekunden noch unten. Rein zu lügen. Das ging einmal auf das Konto von Jörg. Sehr, sehr stark. Aber du lagst ja schon gerade im Halbfinale 1 zu 0 zurück und weißt, wie du das Ganze handeln musst. Jetzt schenke ich mal einen ein. Komm, Vincent, jetzt. Wir feuern dich an. Und ruhig voll drauf. Da kann nichts passieren. Denn für Jörg ist jetzt das Tor schon kleiner geworden. Der muss jetzt sich noch mehr konzentrieren. Und ist eh auch nicht mehr der Jüngste, ne? Ja, sage mal, das war doch direkt der Posten. So, Vincent, jetzt ist die Schonzeit für den alten Herrn vorbei. Jetzt kannst du loslegen. Es steht immer noch 0 zu 1 aus deiner Sicht. Es geht darum, den Ball ins Tor zu befördern, zwischen die beiden Pfosten. Und bei jedem Tor werden die Pfosten kleiner. Das heißt, der Jörg, der jetzt 1 zu 0 in Führung liegt, der muss jetzt noch besser aufpassen. Das war das 2 zu 0. Nicht verzagen, der, der trifft jetzt gar nicht mehr das Tor. Der sieht es kaum noch, weil die Pfosten mittlerweile so eng aneinander stehen. Außerdem ist noch die Hälfte der Spielzeit da. Also immer positiv denken. Eieiei, das war... Also das war schon knapp drin. läuft an auf der Gamescom 2015. Wir haben Gamescom Samstag und es steht nur noch 2 zu 0 für den älteren Herrn hier im weißen T-Shirt für den Retro-Kenner Jörg. Vincent, der das Spiel gerade kennengelernt hat und fast schon professionell beherrscht, ist aber dran. So Vincent, jetzt konzentriere dich und gib Gas. Mach zwei Tore noch, du hast 45 Sekunden Zeit. Es ist das Finale, es ist das Finale und es freut uns sehr zu sehen, dass die junge Generation das wirklich als spaßig und lustig empfindet. Es steht allerdings jetzt 3 zu 0 für Jörg. So, Jörg, jetzt demotiviert auf mich die junge Generation. Ein herzlichen Applaus, das erste Tor für den jungen Mann hier in Grün. So soll das auch sein, Vincent. Du hast noch drei Sekunden Zeit, das noch zweimal zu wiederholen. Und dann in der Verlängerung dürfte dem Jörg sowieso die Luft ausgehen. Eieiei, 4 zu 1. Ja, ja. So, die letzten 20 Sekunden sind angelaufen. Zu also bei den Retro-Fans, Vincent, ist es so, ne? die äh, sind zwar sehr nett und freundlich, ne? aber beim Spielen, ne? da, vertragen die, da kennen die keinen Spaß zu. Ein herzlichen Applaus für Jörg und einen noch größeren Applaus für unseren jungen Akteur Vincent in Grün. Ganz, ganz toll gemacht. Ich glaube, wir haben noch eine Überraschung für den jungen Herrn, oder? Für beide Herren. Das war das Finale, oder? Komm mal nach vorne. 
Der Manuel, ich übergebe mal kurz den Manuel. Also gewonnen hat er, das heißt, er darf sich einen Preis aussuchen. Lass dir das aussuchen und äh, großen Preise haben wir jetzt leider nicht. Ähm, habt ihr was? Ja, müssen mitmachen, ja. Das war's von ihm. Hast du schon was? Yep. Though the next part is actually Mushroom 11, which was in um, the indie department right. of Gamescom. And I actually, I actually had spoken to Julia Kiran Deter from um, Atname Studio. Right. And well, and they they actually had this um, Mushroom 11 game, which is quite nice because as you can see, you are you are moving around a mushroom. Are we watching it right now? Yeah, we are watching okay, it yeah. right now. Yeah. Okay. And in order to move the mushroom around the scenery, you have to use a, um, a glowing thing that is called a razor. And so you have to erase parts of the regrowing mushroom to go through the barriers. I see. So um, the, the little sparkle things that are surrounding it, the the the, the green, I, you know, that looks almost like mold rather than a mushroom to me. But but so you have to erase parts of it using that that kind of sparkly deal. Yeah, to get which is to, called a razor. Yeah. Right. To get it to do stuff. Yeah. That's pretty. Uh, That's uh, that's pretty interesting uh, gameplay, really, when you think about it. They they actually won a Geek Award this year for this game. You know what this remind you know what it reminds me of? Sure. It, it really it reminds me of um, uh, demos from a, an NTSC group uh, called Style from a few years back, because uh, Elwix, who was the editor of Driven, um, used to figure out these these algorithms and routines for. For interesting things like that, you know, like um, you know, they 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 had you know chaos 101 and and and, and life and all that stuff. It kind of looks like what would happen if you took one of those and turned them into a modern game. Yeah, great. Which is kind of nifty. Well, I I liked it because it's special, so I thought I would include it. I have no idea where we are anymore. So. Chris Holzbeck talking yes, about that. his music for the Amiga version of, well, hmm. Ballblazer. 
Oh which was God. called which was called different on the Mega. It was called let's see Master Blazer. Okay. Yup. From Rainbow Arts. Right, right. Which was actually pretty cool because Andreas Escher, the grafican of Rainbow Arts, was there. Um, um so Rudolf say, Stemper you'd say, of You'd say that you're an expert at master blazing. <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> um anyway, Andreas Escher was there, who was the graphic guy. Rudolf Stemper was there, who was also a music guy, composer of Rainbow Arts, and Chris Hilsberg, of course, and Hans Ippisch, who was a coder at Rainbow Arts. So, like, all the high people of Rainbow Arts were there. Hmm. And Chris Hilsberg had their piano dinner. Oh, cool. Um, on Tuesday, which actually I attended because I kickstarted his um, anthology. Well, not anthology, um, the piano collection. CD, which we have right here. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yep, yep. So that was pretty awesome. I saw all the people from um, Rainbow Arts. Yes, and so he spoke in the interview about the history of Master Blazer and the music behind it and stuff. Right. Yep. Cool. That was a little small interview. Unfortunately in German, but I put it on my YouTube anyway, which we will put the link to in the description as always. Yes, yes. Yep. Cool. Let's have a look at that. Yeah, learn some German. Ich drehst du die Musik ein bisschen runter. Moment, ich muss gucken. Warte. Es gibt auch ein bisschen Lademusik. So, jetzt darfst du nochmal. Also, ja, Carboard Laser halt. Ähm, auf Atari XL oder sowas. 800. So ein Ding. Ähm, Und äh, die Musik ist allerdings eine Neukomposition, so ein bisschen mit klassischen ähm, Spielrichtungen, was eigentlich nicht so mein Ding war damals. Aber ich habe mal was probiert. Das war so smooth jazzmäßig. Genau. Äh, das war ja sozusagen eine erweiterte Version, weil auf allen anderen Systemen wie C64 und so gab es ja nur das, das äh, Ballbläser. Aber hier gibt es ja noch mehr. Hier gibt es ja noch ein, äh, ein so ein Rollmodus und ein Rennmodus, der, der noch mit eingebaut wurde. Das heißt, Factor 5 hatte hier ein bisschen mehr Spielraum. Ähm, aber was, ich, was, was mich mal interessieren würde, jetzt folgt ja so eine Sequenz, die so ein bisschen an das Für- und Fractalus erinnert. Ähm, wie kam es denn dazu? Weil das hat ja eigentlich gar nichts mit dem Spiel zu tun. Ich habe wirklich keine Ahnung, aber die Factor 5 Jungs, die das programmiert haben, sind halt große Fans von diesen ganzen schönen ähm, Lucas Arts Titeln. Wahrscheinlich deswegen wollten sie das drin haben, weil sie das cool fanden. Was ja sehr schade ist, weil das Spiel ist ja offiziell nie auf dem Amiga erschienen. Rescue and Fractalus gibt es auf dem Amiga leider nicht. Dafür aber halt diese Sequenz, die so ein bisschen daran erinnert. Boris Schneider hat übrigens auch eine Rolle gespielt in diesem Spiel, den sehen wir gleich. In den Credits, der hat das Spiel sozusagen lokalisiert. Er hat sich um die Lokalisierung gekümmert. 
Seid ihr eng mit ihnen? Habt ihr eng zueinander in Kontakt gestanden? Ja, schon ein bisschen. Und äh, Boris kenne ich auch immer noch gut. Der hat ja auch für Monkey Island die Übersetzung gemacht. Ja. Wie lange hast du für das Musikstück gebraucht hier? Ähm, ich richtig erinnere um die zwei Wochen. Das Schwierige daran war jetzt erstmal, dass es halt was Jazziges war, was nicht so mein Ding war, aber dann auch, da ist eine Sequenz drin, wo das auch ähm, algorithmisch komponiert wird, während des Abläufs. Also das ist so eine, so eine Art Zufallsmelodie drin, die aber sich nach einer musikalischen äh, Richtung ordnet. Gab es da Vorgaben von, von Lukas Arzt, wie er das, das, die Musik zu designen hat oder, oder hat es wirklich freien, freien Spielraum? Nee, also ich habe mir auf jeden Fall den hier über Playback jetzt wieder angeguckt, weil die hatten auch sowas drin halt und habe dann meine eigene Gespräche dafür. Ja, sehr schönes Stück. Die Umsetzung im, im Spiel, die ja im Prinzip ja, schon eine erweiterte, also fast eine 1 zu 1 Umsetzung von der ist, von dem Atari Original, die hast du auch gemacht. Weiß ich jetzt nicht, ich glaube das war wirklich nur eine Umsetzung. Okay, ja, Christian, erstmal vielen Dank. Und... What what we have next? Anyway, so what we got next is a German journalist duo, which was pretty famous because they were editors of the German paper magazine, commercial magazine back in the 90s, 80s Power Play, and that sounds people... familiar. Was that was that just Germany or was that elsewhere? Germany, just really? Germany. Oh. Yeah, and those people were Heinrich Lennart. And Boris Schneider-Jone. Boris Schneider-Jone is actually nowadays the product manager of Windows for Microsoft mm. Germany. Cool. So he made quite a career. And Heinrich Lennart is, Heinrich Lennart is still um, an independent journalist in the video game field. Mm. So, yeah. He, so their 64 experience has paid off in the long run. Yes, for both of them, of course. Yeah. Unlike ours. Well, maybe somebody will donate. <laughs> if you want to donate for us, symbol.org slash donate. Just to mention it again. Yes, yes. So, yeah, so so let's talk to talk to them. And who, who, now, did you, who conducted that? You didn't conduct that interview, did you? Did no, you that was that? Apprentice from Classic Video Games Live, a okay. German a German video audio podcast show. Okay. And so, and it can be found on his um, Gamescom special, which we okay. will link to in the description as soon as cool. it's up on YouTube. Yes, yes. Because he just broadcast yesterday and he didn't up upload it to YouTube yet. Oh, okay. But by the time releases, it will be released. Yeah, yeah. And actually, what they hold on their hands at the beginning is the Lost Caves, Border Dash. Mm -hmm. which was made um, by Schlonkel, Aka Lars. And um, we interviewed him in the last issue of SeaWorld. Oh, yeah, cool. Lars Bernhofen. Right. Very, very nice hmm. boulder dish. Okay, and then we go and do that, and then... Yep. Well, we're back and uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so the second part from the ball blazer, which was part of the video game competition by uh, uh, Parallax, 
which is also a radio station, mm -hmm. not a podcast, but a radio station. Right. And Parallax Radio, they also did another competition for Bomberman, which was actually released, I think, two years ago for the C64. So it's there an official no, release. We didn't. We didn't have a, a Bomberman on C64 until we two had, years ago? We had Bombmania from 1997 uh, from Classical Games, which right. is now sold by Protovision. But we had some before in the 80s and stuff. But not but an official Bomberman. Not the official like... Bomberman from the arcades. That, that is why you can wrong. see... Yeah, I know. But anyway, they did it. And you can buy it from RTCD. As cool. a cartridge, which I did. And yeah. And so that is why you see in the video the um, enemies from the computer, because the original Bomberman had computer enemies. So uh. you fight against each other, and you have to be careful to not be hit by a computer enemy. Cool. Yeah. Let's have a look at that. that that was like a thing that was on a screen that was being done it was it was that was totally a thing that was that happened wow even the dogs liked it you see yeah really even my dogs are going nuts for bomberman Woo. you just you just mentioned bomberman they bark boop, 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 yeah. boop. exactly so do you delete it my, my, my dog is a Bomberman expert, I'm telling you. Uh. So so now we're coming up to the big one, which is um, our interview with, or your interview, rather, with, with EA Sports. Well, you have been there, too. Yes, I and was And you asked, you asked, like, three questions, so... Yeah, I was, I was kind of there. I was there in spirit and in, in, and in voice. Even though in the, in, the, in, in the interview, my voice sounds way cooler than theirs. <laughs> So, so anyway, so we're here. We, we're getting to the, the big one, which is EA Sports, which uh, they have just produced FIFA 16. Not yet. There are. It's coming out in September, I believe. Yes, it's coming out. They're, they're, they're. Yeah. Well, they've produced it. They haven't released it yet. Yeah. Well, the big they're thing released. is the big thing is they they put in women's women's soccer, which is the first time, and it actually started some controversy here in a ger German press. What 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 is this? What was the I, I like? I don't understand what the controversy is about having women in the soccer game. Women should not play soccer. Well, that's stupid. I know. That is why I took it as a main reason to talk to them and discuss it with them. Okay. It was a very very big issue, unfortunately, here in Germany. Hmm. Interesting. So you spoke to I spoke to Matthew McKee. Okay. 
from EA Sports. Yeah. And we covered some topics. We talked about FIFA, and it was, uh, yeah, I, I joined in halfway through, and it was a pretty interesting conversation. Yes, he is the global marketing director of FIFA Electronic Arts. Hmm. So pretty high guy from Canada. Yeah, yeah, just up the street. Yep. So today we are talking to marketing director Matthew McKay from EA for FIFA Soccer. Yes, exactly. Well, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. So today we are talking about the new features that you have in FIFA Soccer 16 like female soccer for yeah. example it was the first first time you have female teams in the game that is something that nobody ever did before yet yeah, um, why did you actually decide to include female soccer okay um, well it's something we wanted to do for a number of years uh, we're very passionate about equality in the studio we're very passionate about the the women's game um, so as a result we've been working on it for a number of years to to build it in uh, we want to make sure we did it in the right way and we did it in a way that paid respect to the women's game and the athleticism and the professional uh, the skill that those uh, the ladies bring to the team as well and of course it was a world cup year as well so um, you know uh, what better time to, to bring them to the game and, and announce them to the world i see um, I actually read a bit about the press reactions and from what I gathered some gamers were really against it. They said what have, what have um, women to do with football, why they should be included. Yeah. And the press reaction I got was something like gamers are a bit um, ancient in their views, in their point of views. What, what do you held against this? Um, I mean, everyone's entitled to, to their opinion, um, but we have full respect for the for the women's game. We think they're absolutely you know, fantastic professionals, uh, and they have absolutely the right to be in uh, in FIFA. So uh, the reaction we saw globally was was very positive. Um, you know, and as I say, you're always going to get uh, people on the internet who who react negatively to, to things, to all features, to everything that uh, all gaming companies do. Uh, but we're very proud of what we what we've done. Um, we're very uh, very pleased with the reaction of the, the press and our fans. So the negative reaction was a minority? Uh, absolutely. I mean, as I say, overall, we see a very positive reaction from, uh, from female footballers, from male footballers and from gamers uh, alike. So again, we're very proud um, and we're very pleased with the response from our, our fans. Great. And also I saw you have included some new techniques like uh, tripling and you can even steal somebody's ball and you don't really have to um, scratch into somebody's knees to yeah. get that. Um, what is that feature called? I guess it has a name. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the biggest features we've done in gameplay this year is called No Touch Dribble. I think that's what you were yes. referring to. Uh, so that's a feature where we actually uh, motion captured Lionel Messi, so the world's uh, greatest footballer, wow. or at least the current Ballon d'Or holder. Uh, so we motion captured him and effectively um, the touches you take with the ball are as important as the ones you take without. So this is as important the ones you do take. You'll be motion captured Lionel Messi, who uses this skill often to beat players. So you release the ball from your feet, you feint, you lean, and then you go around your opponent. So it's very, very effective. Uh, it gives people in the game more tools to unlock new sides of defense. Uh, we're very proud of the feature. It, it's going down fantastically well with, with our fans so far. Mm. So uh, it's great. Okay. Um, so what are the other features you have included so far? Okay. Um, of course, one of the big ones we announced here at uh, Gamescom is Fight Draft. More new ways to play, uh, to play that mode. Um, this is a mode where you play with the button. 
Yes, yes, I, I have played FIFA since uh, 20 years ago. I especially like the hall modes in, uh, in 97. I, I heard a lot of people's fans asking if that hall mode is coming back. Uh, so, not in FIFA 16. Uh, we have nothing to announce uh, in terms of, I think you're referring to indoor mode. Yes, yeah, indoor mode. Yes. Yeah, so uh, absolutely, we have nothing to announce on that. It was a great feature in, in 1997, uh, but we're not talking about that today. Okay, so HA, do you have any questions? Well, I'll, I'll let you kind of lead because you're on the floor and uh, I'm kind of stepping into this, so so I'll pop in with stuff as I come up with it. Okay. Okay. Um, so, if, um, actually, I figured you took a lot of investment. You, I read you even let the developers fly over to the, all over the world and cover the motions of those female, female soccer players. And now that's interesting because most reactions I saw is that people said, ah, they just used the male ones they already had put over the polygons of the females, and that was it. But that's actually not the case, right? Yeah. No, um, so we flew all over the world to face scan and make sure we get authentic light, uh, likenesses for each female into the game. So that's uh, how we flew out around the world. We did have the US women's soccer team come to the studio and do some motion, motion capture sessions for us, the building authentic movement for the players as well. And I also saw you don't allow playing um, female and male teams against each other. I mean, in the menu it looks like you can do it, but if you try it, that's... Sorry, that's not possible. Yeah, so um, women, uh, female and male teams, professional teams don't play against each other in the, in the real world. And one of our core tenets of people is that authenticity. We want to replicate the real sport as much as possible. And because they don't play in real life, uh, we don't allow them to play in the, in the game. So you are a lot about realis uh, realistic gameplay this time. Okay, okay. Um, I also saw there were some female, uh, sorry, there were some FIFA Soccer series titles that were more like arcade mode. You don't, you don't have that this time? Uh, no, I don't understand the question actually. What, what, do, you, what do you mean? I mean, in some, time, in some FIFA titles you actually could play like in arcade mode. That is actually what you got when you played the indoor mode. It was faster, it was more unrealistic, it was you could, you could you could run a lot, okay. and even though it was to be unrealistic, it was more like like an arcade game. Yeah. If you play the indoor mode. No, I don't. I mean, this, our, our game is a simulation sport uh, right now, so mm -hmm. there's no. I don't know. I actually don't know what you're talking about, to be honest. With you. Okay. Uh, no problem. Yeah. I think he means sort of like the the quick play mode, in in which we can just kind of go and pick up a game without having to actually you know put too much thought into it, and it's just sort of a a quick, you know, five-minute run back and forth, not worry about the specifics of, you know, fatigue and players and stuff like that. Okay. Um, the, the mode that you go into when you play the game, the, the quick pick-up and play, is called kick-off. Uh, the gameplay in that, same for uh, the rest of the, uh, the game. There's just, you know, there's, it's not a career mode or a ultimate thing where you need to build a, build a squad. So you can just pick it up and play with your friends. But it doesn't impact the gameplay in that mode particularly. It's not more arcadey or, or less sim than you would be anywhere else. What's the special ops, options you have for multiplayer? 
Are there special uh, specialties to include this time that wasn't before in the title for multiplayer? Um, so the new mode that we announced here at Gamescom was FIFA Ultimate Team Draft. Um, so that allows you to play with a friend locally against the, the AI, um, where you draft the squad of players within the Ultimate Team concept. So each time you draft a position, you get five choices. Uh, so it creates this debate, lots of fun moments where you're trying to choose a player, and you might like Messi, and I might like uh, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, and then you put your team together and you take it into, you know, into the game. Um, that mode is also available online, so you can play uh, human opponents um, in knockout-style tournaments. So you play four games, and each time you win a game, uh, there's more reward on uh, on offer for It's a brand new mode. Uh, we have a trailer for it that we announced here at uh, a game that's out there online. Um, and the response has been fantastic from our from our fans and from the media alike. But we're really happy with um, with what we've done there and you know, the response from, from everyone. And how about the weather conditions? You're talking about earlier that you that you take a lot of um, attention to reality of the game. Yeah. So what did you do in the weather to make it more realistic? For like, for example, like rain or fog or something. Yeah, we have nine new stadiums this year. Uh, we've included, which again makes the game more authentic. And we have some new weather conditions. So we now have fog and we have mist. Uh, to make it more realistic, when you play through a season, say on career mode, we want to give people variety, so it feels like a different experience. Uh, that you're playing in different parts of the, the country. So that enables you to get So you actually feel like you are in the stadium in that country you are playing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, um, you know, all of the stadiums are authentically replicated. So if you've been there in, in real life, you should feel like you recognize the stadium and it looks everything where it should be in there. So, and of course, the, the weather is set to replicate what, what happens in that country. So. Uh, it rains a lot in the UK. Uh, if you're in the UK, you might see more rain than most of you're playing in, in South America. Uh, so we want weather conditions to uh, kind of, again, give you variety, make it feel realistic to, uh, to the time of the year or, or um, you know, to the day that you might be, might be playing. Great. And what's the feature you are most proud of? Um, probably most proud of FIFA uh, Ultimate Team Draft. Uh, uh, um, because the response has been great. Um, our consumers have been asking for new ways to play the game new and interesting ways to play, so uh, that really delivers on that, and that gets a lot of fun, it creates amazing debates amongst uh, guys and, and women alike, uh, which is great, that's what football's about, right, we want to have debate, everyone has their opinions, and then you get to take that team uh, onto the pitch and prove who was right and uh, who was wrong with their choices, so uh, it's a lot of fun, um, the response has been fantastic, and uh, yeah, we're really proud of it. What I figured actually is that you, this time you have like a two-button mode for controls. At least I saw it in the demo that we played. Yeah, that's always been the, that's always been in the, in the game. Yeah. So it's it's easier for beginners to get into the gameplay. Yeah, so we do have a new uh, feature for beginners. It's called FIFA Trainer. Um, and it's an in-game HUD system, um, which kind of gives you um, clues in terms of what the buttons are and what you can do next. So if you have the ball, it might help easier tell you how to pass or how to shoot. And then it will continue to level up. So it might tell you how to do a finesse shot as you, once you've mastered the answer of shooting. So we want to make it easier for people to access our, our game and make it easier for beginners to come in. So that's the big innovation uh, that we've done there. So it's a kind of in-game tutorial, live tutorial. Absolutely. So you can do it while you're in the gameplay experience. Wow, great. That's really actually a cool thing because that's one of the that was always one of the big problems with me when I go from from one year to the next is that the it's the controls are always a little tiny bit different and it takes a bit of getting used to before you really really grab onto it. So to have a tutorial kind of is is cool. 
exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and we took that feedback, so we know we hear from our fans that uh, sometimes it, uh, it's not as successful as it could be. Again, North Americans uh, in particular, younger uh, guys and girls in particular, we hear that from. So we want to make something that enables them to onboard and enable them to have fun straight away and compete with other, other gamers and improve huh? their, their skill levels. So the FIFA trainer is, uh, is that feature. Great. Well, thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you, mate. Yeah. Appreciate it. Great. Thank you. So and so it's it's interesting because it's our first time we were invited to a press conference. Well, no, press section interview. So it's the first time we were invited face to face. I'm um, still baffled that we're considered press. That 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 we're we're you know. We shouldn't we time. shouldn't say that in the. In the podcast. Well, no, it's just, it's just, it's just surprising. It's just, it feels weird to be, to be actually press when you know this is more or less a hobby for a lot of us. Should I really keep that in that you are surprised that we are actually considered press? Um, no. No, right. we don't need to. I mean, I'm just, you know, it, it's something I've said. Before. I mean, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't say something negative about yourself. No, no, no I'm not, I'm not saying it in a negative way. I'm, I'm saying that it's, it's a. It's kind of, it's a this, this is something that that we've taken as a hobbyist thing. You know, it, it's it's not like we get paid for this. It's not like this is a job or anything. <laughs> but it's turned from something that we do in our spare time to the the point where we are considered the press now. We're 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 up there, you know, in 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 journal in computer journalism. It's it, you know, we're not. You know, and, and and to a lot, of, you know, to 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 me especially, you know, it's like I, I I kind of have always viewed it as just sort of like you know I'm just fucking around, you know, it's it's not not something I take particularly seriously, and and but it's like hey, we're the press, you know, it's like this is something that that is legit now, that went from being a disc mag on the sixty four to being something like a legitimate journalism thing, yeah. and it's just. It's 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 not it's not a negative connotation. It's just it's just surprising and and kind of you know, just sort of you know like like wow you know it it turned into something that that we didn't plan for it to. Okay, so doodly do doodly do. Uh... <laughs> yeah, so let's talk a bit about video game con. Oh yeah. So. Yeah, so coming up, um, this this was our our, our uh, Gamescom special edition. It's it's sort of not really a full podcast because it, just because of the fact that we're we're kind of re, you know visiting what we did, what your did and and the crew at Gamescom. Um, but we had an interview with with FIFA yes, Soccer, so yes, it, right. so we can mention that um, Gamescom special and slash. FIFA 16 interview. Yeah. Right, right. It's our first big interview mm -hmm. that we were invited to by a big um, right. video game producer. I think it's yeah. number three or something. They are really on the top three. Oh, yeah. yeah. So. All right, guys. So that was our Gamescom special from Scene World. And see you next time. Goodbye.